Ephesians chapter 6, as we continue our series through this epistle on Wednesday nights, after three weeks of considering the shield of faith, we are now moving on to another piece of the armor, the helmet of salvation. Let's do as we've been doing through this particular section and read verses 10 through 18 together from Ephesians chapter 6. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. So we see at the beginning of verse 17, we need to take the helmet of salvation. Obviously, it's crucial to protect our heads. Amen. You don't have to be a doctor to know that. But I've got some doctor stuff in here. We want to protect our head because of what's inside the skull. Well, some of you want to protect, you got to protect your face, right? But we've got a brain in there that we've got to protect. And I got to thinking how truly remarkable it is that there are certain things we can actually live without. <laughs> this really amazed me as I got to thinking about it. It amazes me how my friend, and many of you know, Zach Costilla. He's got so much removed from him now. I said, I think I teased him last time we were on the phone. I said, brother, you have more removed than you have left in you. I mean, they've taken out all kind of stuff. And it just amazes me of this stuff that we can have removed and we can still live. And sometimes, and it's funny to me because sometimes doctors are just so nonchalant about it. Hey, we're going to have to remove your appendix. Oh, <laughs> don't worry. Hold on. It's there for a reason, Right. I mean, God put it there for a reason. I, I would think I would want to keep it. And it just amazes me, I'm telling you. So I, I, I did a Google search, all right? This is how I'm medically qualified to tell you this. But listen to what all can be removed and you can still live. Your gallbladder, your bladder, your spleen, your pancreas, your appendix, your colon, your tonsils, one of your kidneys, one of your lungs, women can have a hysterectomy. And I was surprised to learn you can live or survive, I don't know if you call it living, without your stomach. I guess they just connect the esophagus to the intestines. And Anyway, there may be more, I don't know, but that's what the Internet told me. And look, I might have played operation a lot as a kid, but I'm no doctor. All right. <laughs> I could take out stuff on that, no problem. Externally, you can lose your fingers, your toes, your hands, your feet, your arms, your legs, your eyes, your ears, your nose. You can still go on living. I mean, it's really amazing when you think about what it is you can do without 
and still live. And, and a lot of that's because of the age in which we live, amen. We've been very blessed to have the medicines that we have in the medical community that we do. Now, to be sure, I don't know much, but I know this. If you lose your head, you're dead, <laughs> right? Without your brain, you're done. You can have everything else functioning well and intact, and once your brain ceases to function, you're done. <laughs> this can occur through severe head trauma, various different means of that, and therefore it behooves us to protect our head. And we do that physically by wearing helmets. I, because of the motorcycle rally that just ended, I decided to look and see what is the number one cause of death in motorcycle accidents, and it's not wearing a helmet. Now, that's all great, and we understand all that physically, but what about spiritually? How does this apply to us? Well, from the brain, or at least we presume from the brain, there is a part which cannot be seen, and this is our mind. The brain is made of physical matter, and it's a conglomeration of nerves and cells and, and blood vessels which can be seen and touched while the mind is invisible and therefore it cannot be seen, it cannot be touched physically. The mind is a conglomeration of thoughts and memories and emotions. And some suggest that what the brain is to the body, the mind is to the soul. And if we want our body to move in a certain direction, then our brain makes that happen. And if we want our soul to move in a certain direction, then our mind is what makes that happen. We need a helmet of salvation. And that will protect us from the traumatic injuries to our mind during our spiritual battles. Just as brain damage will cause a dysfunctional body, Mind damage will cause a dysfunctional soul. Now, I learned during my time of playing sports, and if my mom was here, she would let you know what all I did and how well I did it. And when you play sports where your head goes, your body follows. When at bat and baseball, you have to watch the ball in, watch the ball hit the bat, make contact with the bat. But if you lift your head early your shoulder will come out and you'll have an errant swing and you'll probably pop the ball up most of the time is what will happen as a result of that. The same is true with golf. You need to keep your head down throughout the golf swing. If Watch the club, make contact with the ball because if you lift your head too early, you're going to slice. As a quarterback in football, you're supposed to look down your nose as a gun sight and fire that thing right at your target. And if you lift your head, you'll have an errant throw if you look just the wrong way slightly. We all see that who like football and watch that. You'll see on instant replay, they'll show something and just a slight movement, uh, something distracting. Got the quarterback's eye through the ball, bad throw, bad things happen. Um, and I don't know about you, but when I'm driving, if I kind of, you know, look this way and I let that look linger for a little bit, I start drifting into that, that way, right? I don't know if anybody else does that. Uh, I told my dad, I was like, man, when I was younger, I could do this all day. And now I just barely look, and I'm like, whoa, <laughs> get back over. And where our head goes, we just kind of veer in that direction. And we just get distracted. 
It's no wonder that Jesus said, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom. Because we're distracted. We put bits in the mouths of animals because as we turn their head, their whole body's going to follow. When I kill a snake, I don't just cut the thing in half, but I go for the head. I put a shovel on that dude's head and I cut it off as close to the head as I can. And then I laugh. <laughs> I hate snakes. Likewise, as our mind goes, so we go. And don't worry, we're not going to get all modern, modern new age in here, but as our mind goes, we go. Therefore, we need to protect our mind with the helmet of salvation. You see, the battle's in our mind. And that's where it all starts. That's the battleground. Satan knows this, for as a man thinketh, so is he. Now, what is salvation? When we say salvation in a biblical sense, it can mean a number of things, really. There's a lot to that word salvation. I think I first heard this from Adrian Rogers, and I've heard it many preachers use this since then, and, I, and so I'm about to do so now. You probably heard this at some point. Salvation means we have been saved from the penalty of sin. We are being saved from the power of sin. And one day we will be saved from the presence of sin. Our salvation is settled positionally. Hallelujah. Praise God. It is settled because we have been saved from the penalty of sin. I will never endure the wrath of God in hell or in the lake of fire when the second death comes because Jesus Christ has died in my place. And I've been forgiven. My sins have been washed away. And my position is secure in Christ. When we're born again, we are saved. That means we have eternal life. And guess what? Eternal life doesn't end. I mean, it's so simple to me that I'm shocked that we have debates over whether or not once you're saved, you're always saved. It's eternal life. If you can explain to me how eternal life ends or you can forfeit it, it just blows my mind. And so, once you're born, you can't be unborn. Amen. Just like when you're born spiritually, you can't be unborn. We are now being saved from the power of sin. In Christ and through His mighty power, we no longer have to allow sin to reign in our mortal bodies. We don't have to be servants to sin any longer. But because we are not yet in a state of sinlessness, we are not in a state of perfection in the sense of being sinless. Because we are still robed in this flesh, we're all learning to overcome sin in this life. It's ongoing. One day we'll be saved from the presence of sin. After this life is over, we'll be in the presence of God where nothing wicked can enter in. Uh, thieves can't break in, moths can't corrupt, and rust can't corrupt. And um, Praise God. We'll, we'll be, listen, I'll be done disappointing my Savior. Hallelujah. He's going to wipe away all of our tears. And I won't disappoint Him no more because sin will be no more. This corruption shall put on incorruption. So what does the Bible mean when it tells us here, take the helmet of salvation? Well, since the Bible is clear that we cannot lose our salvation, I 
do not believe this means the helmet of salvation is our security for salvation in the sense that I don't believe it's telling us you can take off your helmet and now all of a sudden you're not saved. You take on the helmet again and now you're saved. Um, and that's not what it's referring to here. And since in glory there'll be no more sin, there'll be no more need for the armor of God. Hallelujah. I'm going to lay my armor down and uh, I'll be at rest uh, with my Lord. However, I think you would agree, and we can see how we need the helmet of salvation when it comes to living this life below, dealing with the power of sin in our lives until we get to the other side. We need that helmet of salvation. This is called the hope of our salvation. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 8, and 9, But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for and helmet the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. We are awaiting the day when we will more fully obtain our salvation. I don't want to confuse you with that because we are saved but listen, I want to tell you that our salvation is now nearer than it was yesterday. The Bible says there's coming a point when we'll look up and we'll lift up our heads for our redemption draweth nigh. We did nothing for our salvation. It's a free gift from God for by grace are you saved through faith. And we'll do nothing when it comes to getting into eternity and getting a new body. It's all done by God. But when it comes to living this life in the flesh... We're going to battle sin until God takes us home. It's all part of the spiritual warfare. Remember, we're taking up the whole armor of God that we may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, you say, what are we standing against? Well, the Bible says in verse 11 that we are standing against the wiles of the devil. He's after you. He wants to trick you through his subtlety. He's wily, he's cunning, he's crafty. He's tricky, he's deceitful, and he knows there's a battlefield in our mind. And he wants to exploit your mind, take advantage of you there, because he knows as your mind goes, so you will go. He can't make you do anything. Just go ahead and get that settled, because we are giving the devil way too much credit. He can't make you do anything. You make the choice to sin. He will try to influence you. I can't tell you how often Satan has gotten in the mix and someone heard something that was never said. It was never said. Satan whispered a lie in their mind and now they believe it like it is fact. I've seen it more than I care to recount. I've seen people leave who have heard things which were never said and I sat down with them and I said, no, that was never said. I've even had witnesses to confirm but they still leave having their mind made up that what was never said was actually said. I've seen people leave here believing in their mind that I believe something that I don't. Well, you believe this doctrine. Where are you getting that from? I've never taught it. I've never preached it. In fact, I have stated emphatically that I do not agree with that doctrine. And I explain and I tell them it isn't true, and I still watch them walk out the door saying, well, you believe it. Satan wants to get in your head. And some of you, he's living rent-free. He wants to mess with your mind. And listen, you've all seen the same scenarios play out. It's not unique to the pastorate. 
You've seen the same thing as well, though you may not have recognized it as spiritual warfare. And I could spend the rest of the night giving you example after example of how Satan's gotten in the mind of people and gotten them to believe things that were never said. Someone leaves the church and says, well, I know no one over there cares about me. Okay, if that's true, then why have I spent precious time chasing you down? Well, nobody over there, they don't care. They, they don't love me. I know everyone's judging me. You know what often that means is somebody's under conviction themselves. I'm not going to give the example because I'll offend, but somebody said, well, I know everybody's judging me because of this. I said, brother, you know that's not true. You're just convicted about the fact that you're doing this. Listen, we're pretty, we're pretty loving, amen? Listen, I've been told I, I, I'll embrace people to a fault. I got Baptist preachers in town that hate me. Well, you just harbor a bunch of rebels. I mean, that's what's going on out there. And we've got this idea that somehow we're not supposed to try to help people. But anyway, I'm going to get off track there. And, and so we've, we've got a complete mess going on because someone hears something that was never said and they embrace it. They receive it as if it was said. They, and listen, I've seen this happen. Somebody will hear something that wasn't said, and they'll go run and take it to somebody they think it was said about. And that person will take it and say, I knew it. Listen, I'm telling you, Satan wants to mess with you. You've got to have the helmet of salvation. And how many of you know that once a person gets something in their head, it's hard to get them to listen? The worst ones are when people begin to believe lies which go against God's character. Well, I don't think God loves me. I don't really know if God's word is true. You know, I don't think church is all that important. What's happening in all of these circumstances? It's the wiles of the devil. It's his tricks. He's conniving. He's getting in your head. It's finding its way into a mind that is unprotected with the helmet of salvation. Pastor Kuhn used this phrase. I'm sure he did not originate it, but he's the one that said it when I first heard it. It's stinking thinking. Stinking thinking. Go with me to Matthew chapter 11, if you would, please. Matthew chapter 11. Let's read verses 1 through 6. John the Baptist here, he's arrested and in prison. The Bible says in Matthew 11, beginning in verse 1, And it came to pass, when Jesus had made an end of commanding his twelve disciples, he departed thence to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John had heard in prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again those things which ye do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk, and the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have the gospel preached to them, and blessed is he, whosoever, shall not be offended in me. As I said, John the Baptist here, he's been arrested, he's in prison, he's nearing the end of his life. And I want to just remind you a couple things about this man. He's the forerunner to Christ. He's the one sent from God to prepare the way for the arrival of the Messiah. I could take you all the way back to before they were born. And he was the one having a Baptist fit in the womb. He was doing uh, somersaults in there. 
about the Messiah. And some of you can't even be here on time. But anyway, he's the man who one day while at the Jordan River looked up and he saw Jesus walking towards him and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. He's the man who when he baptized Christ saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove and lighting upon Christ and staying there and heard a voice from heaven and say, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. You understand who I'm talking about? This is the man that in John 1.34 it says that John bear record that this is the Son of God. Which means he could testify to the fact that I have seen these things and I know them to be true. I witnessed it all. But look at how we find them here in Matthew 11. The same John the Baptist now is asking in verse 3, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? Isn't that amazing? And I don't care how one tries to slice this up. I read a lot of opinions on what people think is really being said here. The question was asked nonetheless. I don't care how you try to divide it. Art thou he, or do we look for another? Either way, he's asking, are we looking for another? I'm not going to get into all that at this time, but I think Jesus' reply is clear enough. Jesus sends back to John, especially when we read what Jesus said in verse 6, and blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me, which that word offend means to trip up and to stumble. John the Baptist, he had been offended evidently. He had been tripped up. He, He had gotten in prison, and now he's asking the question, do we look for another? But wait a minute, this was the man who was the forerunner. Are we looking for another who is the Messiah? What happened? He had forgotten about all that he had seen, all that he was an eyewitness to earlier. I think there was an issue here of not having on the helmet of salvation. Now, he didn't lose his salvation, but he sure was struggling about Jesus and his Messiahship in this moment. And I've got to tell you, That if one like John the Baptist, who Jesus is going to go on to say in this chapter, he was more than a prophet. And that among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. If this man can have these kind of moments, then you better believe we can too. And we must be on guard. You must stand against the wiles of the devil. And you've got to have your mind protected with the helmet of, the, of salvation. Satan wants you to doubt. And in those times of doubt, we dare not trust our emotions. But in those moments, we had better trust the everlasting, forever settled in heaven word of God. Do you know what this means? Listen, you better get in the word of God to arm yourself. Listen, do you know what the Bible says about salvation or you just parrot whatever the preacher has said? Do you know the book, chapter, and verse? Because the doubts are going to come. Do you know why you believe what you believe? Jesus said to those sent back to John the Baptist, He said, Go and show again those things which you do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. What Jesus sent back to John was essentially the Word of God because what Jesus is doing is He's saying, all those things that were written of Me in the Old Testament, those are the things that are happening. Sends Him back to the Word of God. That's what we need to do. 
John, don't listen to your circumstances. Don't listen to your circumstances while you're in prison and wondering how come the kingdom isn't being established because if this is the Messiah and if the kingdom is going to be established on earth, then why am I in prison? John, don't trust your emotions. I know it looks bad now, but you trust in the Word of God. Amen. Now, as we further consider the helmet of salvation in relation to overcoming the power of sin, I want to build upon what I've just covered for the remaining time we have left. You must realize that your sin life is driven by your thought life. You think about the sin before you commit the sin. And I think sometimes, and perhaps many times, as I said earlier, we are giving Satan way too much credit. Because here's the thing, we're all wicked. We all have moments where we're in the flesh. We all have moments where we're carnal. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Listen, we were wicked apart from Christ. We deserved hell. We had some serious issues. But when we came to Christ, our old nature did not disappear. Now, we were made new creatures in Christ, hallelujah. But we still battle the flesh. And I said that to say this, unfortunately, many of us developed bad habits before we were saved. Sinful habits that... Even after Jesus gave us a clean slate, we decided to resurrect those sinful habits. And sadly, many of us could probably testify that even after we were saved, we developed some sinful habits. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Let's read verses 3 through 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning in verse 3, it says this. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. We need the helmet of salvation because we entertain the wrong kinds of thoughts. But... Thank God we're not left defenseless. We don't use carnal weapons. But we must come at this with spiritual weapons. Because spiritual weapons will be mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Strongholds are those things you keep hanging on to. Remember when we talked about the shield of faith and how they quench all the fiery darts? We're kind of building on that here because a stronghold are those things that we refuse to get rid of. They're fortified areas in your life that you just refuse to give up because you keep hanging on to them. These are your pet sins. The ones we're embarrassed about that nobody knows. These are your bad character traits. These are your areas of disobedience and these are areas that you swear... Nobody else understands. And the problem is, it's because it is so fortified that no matter what anyone says or tries to suggest, you're not going to change your thinking about it. 
Because it's a stronghold. And every time this area is brought up in your life, you run to that stronghold because everyone else is wrong but you. For some, every time a preacher mentions tithing, you run to your stronghold. Because I ain't tithing. And it doesn't matter how many verses I show you. It doesn't matter how many men get up and preach that it was before the law and it's after the law. None of that matters because in your mind, in your stronghold, you're not going to let that thing go and you refuse to align yourself with God's Word because it's a stronghold. That's just one example. But you can pick the sin, you can pick the character flaw, you can pick the principle, and no matter how much someone says it, shows you from the Bible you're wrong, you aren't going to change. Why? It's a stronghold. But I got good news. It doesn't matter how strong the stronghold is. Amen. Jesus Christ and His blood is far more powerful. Hallelujah. These are the areas in your life you thought you could never get victory in. These are areas in your life you thought you could never change. These are areas in your life you're blind to. But we're told here that it can be pulled down. It can be cast down through God, which means it can be demolished. We're told in verse 5 to cast down imaginations. Your imaginations are your own reasonings. And, And everybody's got a reason for why they do what they do, it seems like. You don't understand how I was raised. You don't understand what this person did to me. You don't understand what that preacher did. Everybody seems to have a reason. They have an imagination on something. On why we can't change. Why we're this way. Why we can't get victory. Why the imagination cannot be cast down. Along with every high thing that exalteth itself against God. And toward the end of verse 5, we see that we need to bring into captivity every thought. And what that means is we've got to make every thought our prisoner of war. But what we do, instead of pulling down, listen to me please. Instead of pulling down and casting down that thought, bringing into captivity, we entertain that thought. We picture it. We walk around it. We consider it. We make room for it. We give it place over here in our stronghold. And we let it stay there. This is why there's no victory. This is why you keep saying, I I just can't. We let it stick around in our mind. This is why there's suicidal thoughts. This is why people will actually contemplate taking their life. Listen, I'm telling you stuff I deal with from this church. You ever gotten a call at 2 o'clock in the morning saying, I've got a gun to my head and I'm about to pull the trigger? You understand? There are strongholds in people's lives. Man, they got all kind of reasons for it. This, that, and the other. They have got to be pulled down. You have got to stop entertaining the wrong thoughts. This is why we see addictions. This is why we deal with addictions. Why? We start to get victory. Everything's going fine. Something triggers that old habit. For some, it could be something as simple as tailgating. 
well, I'm just used to having a beer in my hand, and now they're back on the wagon, off the wagon, whatever you do when you get drunk. And I'm not trying to make fun. I'm just saying I don't know. For others, it, it's, it's an emotional tragedy. And something reminds them emotionally, and they've got to have a drug, and they've got to have the next hit. They've got to have this, this alcohol. They've got to have this addiction. This is why there's blind areas to problems in our life. This is why there are dangerous doctrines that people accept. This is why man has tried to conform God into his image. Man's image. Well, God understands me. Yeah. The problem is you don't understand God. Now, that's good preaching right there. So when in doubt, ask yourself, does this thought exalt itself above the knowledge of God? Is this thought from God? If not, you have got to arrest it. Seize it and take it captive. Get rid of it. You've got to stop entertaining it. You say, I can't, I can't do this. That's for sure. If you could change yourself, you would have done it already. It's another proof of God. You can't change yourself. You need a power that is greater than you. You need God. Listen, it's His armor. It's His power. It's His salvation. It's His life being lived through ours. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. And as we seek to pull down strongholds and as we examine our thought life, what we need to do is we need to live out Philippians 4.8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. You've got to get your thought life in line with the Bible. But let me, let me just try to be a help to you. I'm not being ugly. But the problem is, we turn on the TV and get wrong thoughts. Listen, I know what it's like to be hooked to music, man. That was my life at one time. And we can hear certain things, and it'll trigger us back. I just hate now that they're playing it in Applebee's. I thought it was so cool, then now it's restaurant music. Anyway, what are you thinking on? Something comes by that catches your eye. And that's probably enough said. You understand what I'm saying? What do you do in that moment? Are you entertaining that thought? We need to be honest with ourselves. We need to be honest with our strongholds. We need to take the helmet of salvation. We need to get our thoughts in line with the Word of God. Think on these things. If there be any virtue. So I just want to encourage you tonight, develop a godly thought life. Get in the Word of God. It alarms me how many people, you start to inquire about their spiritual well-being. And again, listen, I'm just, I'm just trying to be your pastor tonight. I'm telling you this, if Facebook has arrested your time, 
No wonder. If you can binge watch a season or two of your favorite show, no wonder. Nobody ever comes to me and says, man, I, preacher, I got the worst problem. I just can't put down the Word of God. I, I read all of Genesis. I just couldn't stop. Now, I can understand if you're in like the first part of Chronicles, amen. <laughs> begat, begat, begat. I'm only teasing. But, but listen, if you're going to develop a good thought life, you're going to have to get into the Word of God. All right, I love you all. I don't want to ramble any further. Let's pray.